let's, let's pray together. Well, God, we are grateful for that picture of your kingdom today in worship. Lord, what a blessing it is, Lord, to get to, to just shed the things that sometimes we make as barriers to an encounter in worship with you. God, and be reminded, Lord, that your kingdom, Lord, the worship that we are going to be a part of one day in heaven, Lord, it's going to be incredible. Lord, it's going to be filled with the spirit from every nation, tribe, and tongue, God, every worship style. Lord, and, and we, won't, we won't be shy, God. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would fill Fill us with that spirit, God, that our whole faith lives would be with that outward attitude of worship that we experienced just a minute ago. And God, would you give us ears to hear this morning? Lord, would you help us, Lord, to, to embrace your call on our lives? Lord, would you soften our hearts? Would you open our ears for your word today. It's in the mighty, awesome name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, what a blessing it has been in 2023 thus far as a church family to be able to focus in on this concept of community. And then we spend the month of January really unpacking what it means to live in community with God and with one another. And then last week, we get to, as a church family, worship in different languages and be reminded, get this practical reminder of the diversity of the kingdom of God. You see, we know that we serve a God whose people are diverse in color, in background, and in gifting, and that is a critical component of our collective identity as the people of God. And as we've established over the last couple of weeks, friends, we need each other. And we need the people that don't look like us, and that don't act like us, and whose backgrounds are different than ours. We need each other as members of God's family, and we need our collective diversity. And as I was preparing and praying for this week's sermon, an idea, a thought came to my mind, and I, I thought about the opportunity to, to collectively come together and celebrate diversity as we are in Black History Month. And, and the question that came to my head was, how many times in my workplace am I invited to be part of a diversity and equity and inclusion conversation? And the answer is, frequently. And then I wondered, how many times do we as the church, and I'm talking big C churches and the people of God collectively in this country, in the world, how often do we invite each other to the table for a discussion about diversity and equity and inclusion? And there's a disconnect. And my hope during our time together this morning is that we are going to come to recognize the importance of our collective identity as the body of Christ and explore the reasons why conversations about racial reconciliation are essential for our witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. 
and why it is crucial, why it is crucial, crucial for the church, for us to lead when it comes to living lives that are reconciled to God and to one another. I believe that this conversation has to begin with the topic of identity. And we have to ask ourselves, who do I know that I am? And who do we know that we are at our core? Friends, we are called to be image bearers of our creator. The Bible is very clear from the get-go, from the first book in the word of God. We need no, to look no further than the book of Genesis to hear what the Lord says about the creation of man and woman. In Genesis, 3, it goes, in Genesis 1, it goes like this. Then God said, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Now, we often gloss over these verses. We feel like this is, you know, Sunday school stuff or things we learned in children's church. But this is crucial to us understanding who we are called to be. God, in his infinite wisdom, could have given any element of creation his image. I go to the beach and I look at the ocean and I think about its infinite beauty, its vastness. That could have been the thing that he said is created in his image. The lion who's brave and rules over the jungle, the majestic mountaintops, those could have been the ones made in the image of God. But the Lord chose us. He chose men and women to be the ones to bear his image to the world. This means every single human you have ever come in contact with has been made to reflect God's image. Every person was made to reflect the Lord. And, and that call is reflective. It happens in, in two ways. God can reflect his love and care and stewardship through humans. And the rest of the world can praise the creator through their relationship with others. You see, this call to, to bear his image requires us to be in relationship. It requires us to be in relationship with God, and it requires us to be in healthy relationship with one another. Theologian N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, when humans praise God, they ought to do so as the representatives of the whole world, reflecting the praises of the whole world back to God. When humans are bringing God's healing, restorative justice to creation, they are reflecting God into the world. So our identity as image bearers, and I would go one step further to remind you that not only does he tell you that you are to bear his image, but he calls you beloved in doing so. You are a beloved image bearer. He loves you so much that he gave you his image. And that call is, not, is about more than us just individually doing so, though that is important. It's something we must do collectively to faithfully witness to God's care for the world and to reflect, effectively reflect praise back to him, just like we got to do this morning. So for a minute, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. 
I want you to turn to someone sitting next to you. I want you to give them a long look, not a fleeting look, a long look. And I want you to say to them, you are an image bearer of God. You are an image bearer of God. <laughs> now, I know, now we're all uncomfortable, but it's good. We broke the ice. It's good. It's good. Now, that is very easy to do in a room full of people with whom you have some degree of comfort, right? You probably have somebody sitting next to you that you kind of know or that you feel good about because we're, we're in church together. And so that may have rolled off your tongue fairly easily today. But I wonder how easily that same proclamation comes to us when I'm in the Bentonville Supercenter and trying to get in, this, in and out as fast as I can. <laughs> or I'm in my workplace with the person that drives me crazy. Or I'm in a situation in which I feel like I'm uncomfortable, uncertain, or different. You see, we don't always, and I'm, I'm speaking about myself here too, we don't always lead with the spirit of recognition that every person that I laid my eyes on today was made in the image of God. That isn't our default. Our brains have been rewired. Rather than beginning from the recognition that each person was made in God's image, we automatically begin to look for what makes us different from the person we encounter. We see different and we get nervous. So why? Why is that? Why, why are we wired this way? We know that God called us his image bearers, every single one of us. So why? What has changed? What changed was Genesis 3. Sin entered the picture. We decided that we needed to know more than God. The image of God in us became distorted by sin. The chapters immediately following Genesis 3 are full of examples of people failing to fulfill their call as image bearers. There's murder, pride, sexual immorality, violence, idolatry, and more. Now God's word is, is explicitly clear about how this sin has infiltrated us and about what it means to violate our call as image bearers. James 3.9 says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Matthew 5 says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And that word Raka means, You nobody. How often has our speech or our actions communicated the spirit, not of image bearer, but you nobody? One way that this violation of our call as image bearers has historically plagued the human race, even since biblical times. And friends, we need to look no further than, than God's word to see examples of how this sin 
created division amongst God's people. But one way this violation continues to plague us has been the idea that some image bearers are superior over others. And this notion has created division in innumerable ways, whether it be the idea that one economic status has superiority over another, or that one gender is somehow elevated over another, or the idea that one race was superior to another. In fact, racism has been so prevalent in this country, even since its founding, that entire systems were established to benefit one race over another. The walls that were built as part of this systemic sin have played out all over history. And sadly, the church, the people of God, have not always fulfilled our role in naming and standing against the sin of racism. Nor have we actively promoted diversity in our congregations. In 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King said this. He said, 11 a.m. on Sunday is the most segregated hour of the week. And even in 2015, even in recent history, a study conducted by LifeWay Research suggested that 75% of churches have one predominant racial group, and only 34% of Americans have ever attended a church in which they were a minority. And among that 34%, one in five said that being a minority hindered their involvement in the local church body, and neither a quarter said that being a minority in a congregation would make them uncomfortable. Friends, the kingdom of God is not segregated. The kingdom of God is colorful. As Dr. Derwin Gray says, and I'll say it again, what we seek as the people of God is not color blindness. What we seek as the people of God is color blessedness. Now certainly, <laughs> there is nuance in these conversations. We don't have hours and hours to unpack everything today, but the command of God when it comes to thoughts of superiority is clear. And as Latasha Morrison says, there is no superiority except for God's superiority. Any prejudice that we hold on to, rather than confess to the Lord as sin, prevents us from taking important steps forward and imaging God well to the world. The Reverend Tabidi Anyabwile says it this way. He says, we have to take seriously what it means to be made in the image of God. And we have to take seriously the seriousness of sin. If we don't take sin seriously, if we refuse to do it, then we will think that racism, racial animosity, prejudice, or bigotry are justifiable in some measure or eradicable by knowledge alone. What we need, friends, is a work of the Holy Spirit to cleanse our hearts and our minds. Our own denomination, the Nazarene denomination, has recognized the importance of speaking out against sin in this idea of superiority over one another. And in the, in, in, in the form of racism, our own manual says it this way, therefore, we renounce any form of racial and ethnic indifference, exclusion, 
subjugation or oppression as a grave sin against God and our fellow human beings. We lament the legacy of every form of racism throughout the world, and we seek to confront that legacy through repentance, reconciliation, and biblical justice. We seek to repent of every behavior in which we have been overtly or covertly complicit with the sin of racism, both past and present, and in confession and lament, we seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Further, we acknowledge that there is no reconciliation apart from human struggle to stand against and to overcome all personal, institutional, and structural prejudice responsible for racial and ethnic humiliation and oppression. We call upon Nazarenes, I would say Christians, everywhere to identify and seek to remove acts and structures of prejudice, to facilitate occasions for seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, and to take action toward empowering those who have been marginalized. Yes, good. This, friends, is our call that as image bearers, we embrace a color-blessed vision of the church. Now, there is work to do. <laughs> there is work to do, and I, I, you could maybe you're sitting here today and saying, yes, I agree, but it's something that will never change. What can I do about it? What I want to suggest to you is that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross has done the work of reconciliation for us. And it is now our job to go and be agents of that reconciliation in our places. In the book of Acts, we read this interesting story about Peter, the disciple, and a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a general in the Roman army. And Cornelius was not a Jew, and Peter was a Jew. They didn't know each other, and yet God paved an unusual way for them to come together. He gave them parallel visions. And in Peter's vision, Peter, a devout Jew, right? Jews would have, were, were very concerned with following the Mosaic law, with making sure that they were fulfilling the commands that God had given them, rightfully so, particularly as it came to, to keeping their lives clean by doing or not doing certain things, by associating with certain people or not associating with certain people. And at this particular time, the, the world of Jews and Gentiles was often divided because Jews felt that the Gentiles were wicked, that they, they ate unclean things, they did unclean things, and, and meanwhile the Gentiles felt that the Jews were kind of stuck up and that, that they wouldn't associate with anybody except themselves. So Peter, Peter receives this vision from the Lord that is this vessel coming to him filled with animals, things that a Jewish person would have considered unclean. And this voice comes to Peter in this vision as he's beholding this vessel full of animals, and the voice says, Peter, kill and eat. The voice says, Peter, don't say, what, don't say that what God has made clean is unclean. The voice basically threw everything that Peter thought was right about the way that his world worked into, into question. 
Meanwhile, God sent a separate vision to Cornelius, and he tells Cornelius, this Roman Gentile, to go find Peter. Again, they didn't know each other. Didn't make any sense. Why do I need to go find this Peter guy? But Cornelius was a believer. He was devout. The word tells us he was devout in the way he followed God. And so he sent two representatives to go find Peter. When those two men came to Peter, the spirit comes upon Peter again and literally says, look, (laughs) there are three men searching for you. It's all right. Get up. Go down with them. And I love this translation that says, don't be prejudiced. I have sent them. So Peter goes and, and meets Cornelius and, and basically says, you know, I didn't think I was supposed to come hang out with you. But, but this vision, this vision that God gave me, and he proceeds to interact with Cornelius and his family, presumably they, they likely shared a meal together, and then Peter is so moved by this experience, by this proximity to someone that was different from him, that he speaks to the Gentiles with these words. You yourselves have known, this is Acts 10, verse 28, and then 34 and 36 through 36. You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, Cornelius goes on to become the first Gentile convert to Christianity. Peter's heart was changed because of the work of the Lord in him. The work of the cross, the work of Jesus Christ who came and lived and died and was resurrected for everyone demonstrates that reconciliation to one another and to him is possible through Jesus alone. And T. Wright says it in his commentary on these verses. It says, he says, it means there are no ethnic, geographical, or cultural, or moral barriers any longer in the way of anyone and everyone being offered new life. Cornelius didn't want God or Peter to simply tolerate him. He wanted welcomed, forgiven, healed, and transformed, and so he was. That same transformation that occurred in Peter's heart when Peter was reluctant to go and to dive into relationship with someone who he perceived as different from him that was transformed by the work of Jesus in his heart and in his life, that same transformation is available to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 says it this way, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us The ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. It goes on to say, so we are ambassadors for Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us that Jesus, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace in his flesh He has made groups into one and broken down the dividing walls. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and reconciling 
both groups and might reconcile groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. Jesus himself has become our peace. He has reconciled us to God and to one another through the cross. Though we have distorted the image of God, though we have not fulfilled our part of the bargain here by imaging God well through the sin of racism, through the sin of moral superiority, through the sin of economic systemic issues, though we've done that, and even collectively we've done that through the perpetuation of systems that oppress others, Jesus, Jesus found a way to break through it all. Jesus said, My, the cross is enough for you. The cross-shaped life is what I'm calling to you, that you would live a life that is reconciled to God through my blood and reconciled to others through the work of the cross. The cross literally acts as the bridge between our old way of living and our new life in Jesus. The family of God, then, that we see in the book of Revelation is a color-blessed picture of diversity. We read this, after I looked there was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a long voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the reality to which God is renewing and restoring all things, even today. And it's the reality to which we are called because our identity as image bearers means that we must live lives that pursue reconciliation in a cross-shaped way, reflecting the character of the God who seeks justice, who works righteousness and justice for the oppressed, who says that his body is meant to be one that is diverse and unified under the power of the cross. Going back to Reverend Anwabwile, he said, you cannot be a Christian renewed in the image of God and be indifferent to or opposed to reconciliation in the body of Christ. The reconciliation achieved for us on the cross flows necessarily from the saving and sanctifying work of the Lord. So how do we grab onto that? How do we realize it in our everyday lives? There's a word for us that admonishes us to take an active step with the help of the Holy Spirit in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I affirm and assist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their own minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy, and practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lesson, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourself with the new self, created according to the likeness of God. There's that idea again, the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, we're invited to take an active step forward in clothing ourselves 
in the likeness of God through the renewing of our minds. So that struggle, that rewiring that is the disconnect behind seeing you, seeing each other as image bearers of God, and then this idea that first I lead with, hey, how are you different from me? We're invited to accept the reality that the work of the Holy Spirit can transform us so that we literally put on the likeness of Christ in our interactions. You see, I believe that this fight for racial justice and the fight against oppression and inequality in our country needs the church. And it needs the church because we uniquely understand who, who we are called to be as humankind. Those who don't know Jesus don't understand that this is important because God has called us to bear his image. Those who don't know Jesus don't understand that this work of reconciliation began with Christ on the cross. See, we bring a unique perspective to this fight. Now, I admit, again, that this task seems daunting and that this idea of image-bearing is not merely an individual exercise. We need each other. We need to ask ourselves, is pursuing unity with other image-bearers central to what I believe as a follower of Jesus? Is pursuing unity with other image-bearers central to what I believe as a follower of Jesus? If Jesus has reconciled us to one another through the cross, what am I doing to pursue that reconciliation in my everyday conversation and relationships? I want to suggest to you, because I always like to give you some practical takeaways, I want to suggest to you a couple of steps that if your heart, if there's a thought in your mind this morning or in your heart that, hey, maybe this is work that God wants to do in me. I want to suggest to you some steps to take forward. And I want to give credit to Latasha Morrison, who is the founder of an incredible group called Be the Bridge to Racial Unity. First, I want to ask you to pray. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the places in your heart where sin is present and to convict where there are prejudices hiding? Second, would you listen? Would you listen to the voices who are telling you that as an image bearer, their experience has been different than what maybe yours has as a member of the majority? And would you listen not to respond, but just to hear? Third, would you learn would you ask, how is the experience of other image bearers different from your own? Would you read? Would you ask questions? Would you seek to understand? Fourth, would you lament? Would you allow for the reality of what is broken to pierce your heart? And finally, would you commit to leveraging, to speaking up when voices need to speak for justice and against oppression and against the idea of 
one image bearer being superior over another. We are not going to always get this right. And I confess to you, as a white woman standing up here this morning, that I have work to do. There are places that I don't even realize that I have benefited from the color of my skin, and I have work to do. But I recognize that because of Jesus, I can seek reconciliation. Just grace meets us there, just as it met Peter, whose heart was changed by the work of the Holy Spirit, and proximity, proximity to people who he considered other, less than. Friends, our, our everyday conversations about diversity and need people who understand what humankind is called to be. We understand that the kingdom of God is one in which diversity is championed. These everyday conversations need people who understand that true reconciliation comes through the cross. Even when you can't testify that to that in your place of business, you can image to it. The church needs to be the leaders when it comes to racial reconciliation because we know the truth. The truth that sets us free from the brokenness of the world and that the only true path forward is cross-shaped. May we not be content with color blindness, but may we seek a color-blessed identity, recognizing that each image-bearer's likeness of God is uniquely beautiful, necessary, and valued. Would you pray with me? With these words from Dr. Derwin Gray, Father, by grace, through faith, and your beloved son, I am now a member of your beautifully diverse family. We are members of your beautifully diverse family. In your family, there is no favoritism. We are equal in your sight and to your delight. Lord Jesus, teach me to love like you do. Teach me to see every person as an image bearer of God, worthy of love, worthy of respect, worthy of dignity. Holy Spirit, give me the courage to cast aside prejudice and racial biases. Give me the strength to confront evil in the world and evil in myself. Give me power in this hour. And when we leave this place, Lord, would you give us the power to begin the work in each of us and to continue the work to heal our racial divide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.